Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Please consider supporting Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. You can learn more about them at bwunited.ca. Uh, they are always looking for donations and volunteers. So please, again, support Black Women United, Y-E-G, for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. Again, that website is bwunited.ca. Hey, this is Nicole calling from Hamilton, and I needed to let everyone know that I really proudly support Beach and Creative Control. I have for many years. I will for many more, as long as he keeps delivering these amazing interview podcasts. When you hear one of Vish's interviews, you think he's known this guest for years, they're good friends, Uh, but the truth is he approaches every interview, whether it's sort of up-and-coming indie artists or established icons or like famous intimidating comedians with uh, a really deep, genuine curiosity, so he's never met this person, and the same really warm uh, candor, so he's known them forever. I think it really lends to a great chat, no matter who he's talking to, and for that reason... I think you should throw Vish, like, what, a dollar a month? He's got jokes. The jokes make it worth it. Support Creative Control on Patreon. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. I'm Vish's wife, and remember, when you name a dog Janet or Timothy, you are dragging humanity down just a little bit. I loved you. When I had nothing else to do But you led me on Behind the shed I shed my big fat heart for you And now it's gone CITY Royal City CITY Royal City CITY Royal City Aaron Riches is a musician and professor currently based in the state of Kansas originally from Guelph Ontario Riches used to write a lot of songs, and he once played drums and sang in the post-hardcore punk rock band Minnow. 
He also once played guitar and sang as himself. And he once played guitar and sang in the wondrous outsider folk band Royal City, which also featured contributions by Jim Guthrie, Nathan Lore, Simon Osborne, Lonnie James, Johnny James, Evan Gordon, Rebecca Simpson, Owen Pallett, Sufjan Stevens, Bob Wiseman, and Leslie Feist, among others. I used to road manage Royal City sometimes. In 2004, Royal City played its last show, and Riches essentially vanished from public life to tend to his family, his schooling, and his teaching career. The Hillside Festival in Guelph asked him to digitally film himself singing a song for their Hillside Homeside virtual festival, which is taking place on the internet between July 24th and 26th in the year 2020. Uh, Aaron agreed to do that, and he also agreed to be on this show for his first extensive interview in roughly 16 years, which covered a lot of ground about the state of the world and the state of him and the state of me. Also, Fugazi, the band Fugazi, is mentioned a number of times. A part of the Entertainment One Network, with the support of listeners like you, who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it, and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creativecontrol, and Massey Hall's concert film series live at masseyhall.com, where you can stream dozens of 30-minute films for free, including performances by past podcast guests like Great Lake Swimmers, plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton. This is the 553rd episode of Creative Control, featuring the funny, wise, and inscrutable Aaron Riches with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hello, Aaron. How are you? Good. How are you doing, Beesh? I'm well. I'm well. Where in the world are you today? Uh, I'm in Kansas. I'm in, at the center um, of America. Is that is that uh, geographically correct? Are you in the state of Kansas? Or are you in Kansas City? This has become a a hotly to- a debated topic in the last year or so. Where are you? Yeah. You mean because um, because. Trump congratulated the state of Kansas <laughs> when Kansas, Missouri won some football or, or baseball thing. It was that's correct. That is exactly what I'm alluding to. And yes, uh, where which Kansas are you in? Um, well, Kansas City. Most of Kansas City is in Missouri, but a little bit of it is in uh, Kansas State. But I'm in Kansas State, not um, in Kansas City. I'm in a very small town. We do have a Manhattan, Kansas which is much closer to being the center of America than <laughs> Manhattan, New York, geographically speaking. Of course, culturally, politically, 
and uh, all kinds of other ways, I feel like I'm on the frontier. Right. That's We think of Kansas as a frontier state, not the center of any universe. But did you decide to move to Kansas uh, because you wanted to be in the center of America? For strictly geographical reasons, I moved here. <laughs> what are you doing in Kansas, if I may ask? I'm, I'm teaching at a little college here. Oh, okay. And so, yeah, it's good. How long have you it's, been? How long have you been in Kansas? I've been here almost two years now. Oh, okay. I see. I didn't know that. You and I will correspond over email every once in a while, and uh, I noticed a slightly Spanish flavor to your emails in the last uh, little while, and now it's got a Kansasian feeling. Yeah, a Kansan. Kansan. That's a right. Kansan feel. You yeah. Are. So well, we spent almost nine years in uh, in Granada. Mm-hmm. In Spain, El Curo de Europa, uh, which is not a very nice thing to say about a place, um, but it actually isn't. It's a very beautiful, beautiful city, uh, very significant culturally, um, architecturally, in every kind of way. We had a beautiful time there. So you, there for, you must be what? Are you trilingual at this point? No, I'm not. I'm barely unilingual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can attest to that. You know, my children and I are, are do you, are you familiar with the application Duolingo? No. Duolingo is a uh, how to learn languages application. You can get it on okay. your in your telephone or on your uh personal computer. And basically you you and your children uh together every day can go on Duolingo and you're assigned a language exercise and you can pick French or Spanish, or Japanese, whatever you want, and you can start from scratch together. So we've just, uh, because I've instituted a kind of uh, Papa summer camp, I'm doing my best to give them something to do, some structure to their days. Uh, we do Duolingo every day. So we, we're on Spanish. We alternate every day. Every other day we do Spanish. Uh, we do Spanish and French. We alternate. So yesterday we did Spanish, and I tell me if you know what this means, and tell me if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Yolk. Come manzanas mañana. Qué tonto eres, tío. La pronunciación no fue muy bien, pero... <laughs> sí, you've got it. You've got <laughs> manzanas, Spanish. Manzanas, manzanas, sí. Manzanas. Manzanas, pues quizás en, en mexicano son manzanas, pero oh. en España son manzanas. I see, I see. Pero no pasa nada. Okay, so you've got it. You've got, you would be an advanced Duolingo. If you were to get, <laughs> yeah, on Duolingo, I, I can do it. That was good. So I got it wrong. Did you? I was trying to say. No, 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 no. You, you, you said you said that, that you ate you ate apples, and it was it was it wasn't too bad. I was trying to say I'm going to eat apples tomorrow. Did I say it wrong? Uh, yo co- come. I said come, but is it como? Yo como comore. Oh, is comore. that what? It, okay, see, I don't know. I'm just don't get come. on. Don't berate me. I just com, started. Come. Come. <laughs> Anyway, it's nice to, uh, it's nice to see you and talk to you, uh, as always. So your family's good. Are you okay? Yeah, we're, we're really good here, uh, sort of in the the lost part of, uh, the United States. Hmm. It's great. It's a very small town, makes Guelph look like a megalopolis, a cosmopolitan center of, uh, a very dynamic, um, very dynamic place. I mean, Guelph seems cosmopolitan, positively next to Atchison, where we live. I can't, Just I can't as, figure you out. Are you a small town person or a big city person? You seem to live in both. 
very easily. Uh, no, I, well, I mean, I, I live, I live wherever I'm put. <laughs> I, I would, I think I would rather, I'd, I'd rather live for myself in, in a, in a bigger place and more, more cosmopolitan place. But, you know, the thing that's really nice about uh, where we live now compared to Spain is that the kids are free. Hmm. So they, they can go into the streets, they can go biking, like even though, even the little kids are free and there's lots of families that live around here in houses and they, they go in and out of each other's houses and, and um and that's good in in granada like we had an apartment and open it you know you, you went out onto the street and there was like motos zooming past all the time and cars and and uh you know there was a, a house of prostitution across the street you know like i mean it just wasn't the kind of place where you'd let your eight-year-olds go out by themselves right you know right and so i think i think for the, for that reason it's nice to live here um I mean, it's not, I mean, I, I never knew what Atchison was until I, I got offered a job here. So I don't have a, uh, I never had a, a need to live here. And what, what are you teaching there? I teach theology. Theology? Any specific area of expertise? Well, yeah, I mean, I teach everything because it's, it's a little liberal arts college. So you have to, you have to teach everything to get by. So Now, what does that teach. mean, though, everything? Theology is, is, is a broad subject in my mind. Is there some, do you home in on something <laughs> specific? I think theology, how would you define what theology even means? Because to me, it's, it's the study of religion generally, but is there a specific area? Um, well, I mean, I, I, teach, I teach Catholic theology. So. Okay, so there you go. You home in um, on the Catholicism. Home in on the Catholicism, yeah. Mm, okay. So I teach. I mean, I teach the, this semester. I teach a few intros to theology, intros to, to Catholic theology. So they're not. We have a class that's um, uh, uh, like a world religions course, but I don't teach it. And um, then I'll teach a theology of the church class. Hmm. And you know, sometimes I get to teach some elective classes that are sort of my own. I make them up, and yeah. You know, good. my mom. Uh, before she retired, was a chemist, and uh, every few years I talked to her about something uh, to do with work, and she'd say, "Oh, well, I have to attend a, a seminar, but you know, to upgrade my skills." So, when you're teaching Catholicism, how much upgrading are you doing? What kind of None. new innovations? Just in just, just downgrading. <laughs> it's just the process of downgrading. <laughs> you're just constantly downgrading every year. You're learning a little bit less about. <laughs> I, I, I try to forget a couple of things I've learned. <laughs> I, you know, I, you and I uh, came to know each other because of punk music, questioning all authority uh, a little bit. I would say, or well, maybe that is an unfair thing to suggest that you were doing, uh, but that's what appealed to me about it, uh, fighting a little bit. Uh, how do you reconcile that mindset with, you know, the questioning of authority, uh, with what you're doing now, uh, with, uh, with, uh, some of this more strict, uh, religious, uh, things you must adhere to the parameters. That's what I'm wondering about. How do you reconcile those things, punk and parameters? Well, I mean, actually, I'm, they're, they're already reconciled to me in my mind. I mean, everybody has authorities in their life that they follow. Mm-hmm. And the question is, what is an authority and what is an authority to me? I mean, Ian Mackay was a great authority to me because he showed me a great humanity, right? And he showed me, therefore, a great way. And so whatever authority he had was something that he received freely from me because I wanted to follow yeah. the, way that, the way that he did things, impressed me, impacted me. And uh, in that sense, you know, authority and, let's say, authority and anarchism aren't really uh, diametrically opposed. 
but I think that the, I think the biggest thing, the biggest question is sort of what is authority? And for me, authority is is a, is a presence that captures my heart. Right. Okay. So it it doesn't necessarily need to be an authority that espouses a dogma. It could be an authority that simply lives a life, leads by example to an extent. You know, it's funny you bring this up because I do. Did I send you the link where I had Ian Mackay and Steve Albini in a conversation together? Did you ever catch wind of that? I probably did. I'm not sure that I listened to it. Many, um, many years ago now. Uh, yeah, maybe I, maybe I did. I'm not sure. Well, it's funny you bring it up because I, I revisited it somewhat recently. I don't remember when. And they each bristled, each of them, when I brought up the notion that they were leaders in the punk world uh, or authority figures. They both said, well, that's not that's not accurate. That's not how I view things. I think they were being, there was a little semantic stuff going on. I mean, obviously, I was having them both on the show together because whether they like it or not, we viewed them as kind of leaders, figureheads. But they and instantly were like, we don't view ourselves that way. No, no, this is just what I did. If people want to follow that example, I mean, that's their prerogative. But they just bristled at that. What do you make of that? It, it, I mean, it depends. It depends what kind of definition of authority you had. And most people that have a great authority uh, don't attribute it to themselves. Right. Okay. Right? It's it's something that's given to them. Martin Luther King was a great authority. He was a great leader, hmm. not because he demanded doctrinal uh, coherency with his position, not because he told people what to do, but because people spontaneously looked to him and they followed him. Do, and uh, and yeah. and so it's more authority is less a thing you can attribute to yourself and more a thing that others attribute to you. I mean, of course, you, you can try to impose it on other people, but we all know how that ends. Yeah. I think we, we tend to find an affinity with certain people because their sense of logic or, or common sense uh, resonates with our own. So with with people like Steve and Ian, I think part of, and you, I will say you as well. I mean, in Guelph, I thought of you as someone who, and I think a lot of people would say that. When you lived in Guelph and when you lived in Toronto and when you were making music and in the in the arts world, I think people gravitated towards you because they felt like you you kind of had a sense of what made sense. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm certainly I, I would bristle even more than probably you know, I would bristle <laughs> for good reason to think anything of that of myself. But I think that the I think I think too though it's not even that it's not even that it's something you can put your finger on. It's 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 something that the, that the heart sees in another and you you see a humanity that surprises you and you you, you know you think in yourself i want that like I, I want that in the case of like ian mckay like i want that kind of integrity i want to be able to live like that you yeah, know? and yeah. and and it wasn't that i wanted the program the list of rules that i had to obey but I, like i wanted to you you wanted to be around him because you wanted to kind of you want to you, you want to you want to participate in, in that that sort of that human presence, but, and that's what real that's what real authority is. But I think in both the religious context that we were referring to, and in the case of Ian, Steve, you, part of what you're doing on a on some level when you find that humanity in your heart is you want to take it into your own world. You want to take it into your own community. Yeah. I know so many people who saw Discord Records, for example, as 
this it's an amazing, incredible thing. But when they actually focused in on it a bit more, they're like, wait a minute. Almost everyone on Discord is from their community. Um, it's not yeah. some conglomerate that's just like soaking up uh, artists from different scenes. And I feel like you, whether you know it or not, and I appreciate the bristling, and I, I think I did it when I was in Guelph in particular as well. You try to take the things that made sense to you uh, in terms of what people like Ian or other leaders did, and you bring it to Guelph. You bring it to your town. You bring it to your community and your scene and see if it works. Would you say you tried some of that? I mean, you are famous uh, for bringing Fugazi to Guelph in what year was that? 88, 89 or something like that? Yeah, 88 or 89, something like that. And you wrote them a letter? Is that right? Uh, no, I I had a friend in, in Kitchener-Waterloo who had, he had met Ian Mackay. I think he met, I think he met Ian Mackay. Like, I mean, he was older than me. Yeah. And I think he had met him at like, I think Minor Threat played one show in Canada ever in Windsor. And I think they, play, had, they played in Winnipeg, I think. Or Winnipeg. But did they play a show in Windsor once? They might. They they could have. I know they played, I think, I believe, they played okay. some Prairie shows. Anyway, yeah. You probably know this better than me. But anyway, well, so he, this guy had met Ian Mackay, like, then and had kept in touch with him. And, you know, I remember at the time, my, the different the distance between Minor Threat and Fugazi in 1988 seemed like, you know, like generations. Mm. But in fact, it was, only, it was only like four or five years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, most of my kids are older than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, but anyway, so he had Ian Mackay's phone number. Oh. And uh, he gave me his phone number. And so I phoned Ian Mackay up on the phone. And I said, yeah, you know, my name's Aaron and I live in this place called Guelph. And we'd really like it if you would come up here and he said, uh, and play a show. And he said, well, we're not doing a tour right now, but we're planning to do one probably in about six or eight months. I'll give you a call. And I said, okay. And then one day the phone rang like in the kitchen. You know, I mean, the, the phones were all like landlines back then. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe it was my mom that answered. Somebody said, you know, Aaron, the phone's for you. And I came over and he said, hi, this is Ian Mackay from Fugazi. Right. And we talked before and we're, we're going to come up and play these shows. And the only shows they played on that tour in, um, in Canada were Guelph, Toronto, and Montreal. Ottawa? Or maybe, maybe they played Ottawa too, but I don't, I don't think they did that tour. Maybe they did. Okay. You, you probably, you, again, you probably know better than me. I just it's, vaguely tried to, it's, it's been, no, it's, it's, like, it's like, it's like with Michael Barkley. If you talk to these guys, like they actually, they actually write stuff like this down and, right. and remember, but, but anyway, I think that Guelph was like maybe even the first gig that they played in Canada on that leg of the tour. But it was it was significant. It was like this little town of back then, like eighty thousand people. Yeah. So you know? tell me about the impulse you had to call him. Uh, think about that for a second. Think about what you were doing then. It was a different time. There was no email. You mentioned the landlines. You couldn't really reach out to the people you admire as easily as you can now on Twitter or what have you. Like you couldn't message them. So, but that impulse to to make something happen in Guelph. To bring Fugazi to Guelph, what was that? What was within you there? Was it because you knew a little bit about Discord? You knew a little bit, a little bit about Ian. What was it? Yeah, of course, I knew. I knew about Discord, and I knew the whole. The, I mean, the the thing is, when Fugazi started, there they were. They, there was something that was like it was like there was something different about them. There's something like there was no other band that sounded like them, but there was no other band that was like you know sort of principled like them. There was no other band that was sort of like 
for the young people who would want to come to their shows. Like, I mean, DIY is such a stupid slogan. It doesn't capture anything like the, the newness that, that Fugazi was. And so I remember, um, uh, my friend Eric Hunter came home with this like cassette tape when he was, he'd been in Germany and, and Fugazi had played over there. And this was like their first demo. And we heard it and we were like, man, this is like, it didn't sound like punk rock. It didn't sound like hardcore. It didn't sound like my, it sounded like a whole new thing. Like nothing like this had ever happened before. Right. And then their whole way of being was like, they, they were, you know, people getting into trouble for stage diving right what are you doing i mean it stopped songs and said what are you doing man you just hit this person in the head it was like they they care they cared about the humanity that they were playing music for and this was of course always the thing that attracted anyone that i knew to punk rock was like punk rock was like a, a, a place a place where you could belong every human being needs a dwelling place right everybody needs a place where they they belong where they're they're, they're affirmed in their humanity whether their friendships have some kind of sense, a point of reference. And punk was that for us. And then Fugazi came and it was like this, like, it was almost like a more beautiful, it was almost like a more beautiful form of it, a more, a more conscious, more mindful form of it. It was like, no, you don't stage dive because you might hurt somebody. And like, we don't, we don't play gigs that are more than $5 a head. I remember that show actually in, in Guelph. Um, the first conversation I had with, you know, Makai said about the $5, uh, price tag. And I explained to him, like, you know, that I wasn't sure if we'd be able to break even with $5. And we worked out because of the exchange rate difference that it could be six. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, but, but like, I mean, you know, and he, and so one of the things, I mean, all the bands that played back then, you know, they had a guarantee. Fugazi had no guarantee. The guarantee was that it's all ages. Yeah. And that it's $5. Right. You know? And that, you know, people aren't allowed to jump off the uh, the speakers onto other people's heads. It, it, it's so interesting because I think the sort of general sense of punk is that it is filled with anarchy and nihilism and uh, anger. And yet what I, what spoke to me about Ian and Fugazi and, and you and people like that was there was this sense of decency that you're describing, this sense of... Well, no, we're human beings. This is not a, this is not some entity. This is not some dispassionate gathering. This is a, this is a very human enterprise, a very human thing to gather together in a space and share that space. And when you share that space, that share is a very important word there. And I think that really, and I think the tension for people who were like, ah, they're telling us we can't do stuff. That's authority. Well, no, I never viewed it that way. I viewed it as just a reminder that we have a responsibility to be decent to one another. And I think that's what, and that's easier said than done. We all slip up. We all make mistakes. We all, as you would know, knowing me, we all inadvertently insult people (laughs) or say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing sometimes. And But that decency really resonated with me. It's a weird thing to talk about, that a rock band could instill decency in, in us. But would you agree that's there? Yeah, I mean, I think that I have, I've often thought this, like at the core of punk rock always has been an incredible love of freedom, right? That, that's, that's the real thing. It's like, free, it's freedom. And within that, within that freedom, of course, there's an anti-authoritarianism in the sense of the, the kind of wooden self-appointed, uh, sort of dictatorial authoritarianism. Um, and I think that that's, 
that that that's one aspect. But this love of freedom, it, it then becomes an exploration of the question of like, what is freedom? And there is always a nihilistic in punk rock. You see it like right, right from the beginning, like the Sex Pistols mm-hmm. and the Clash. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. You know, you got like bands like Conflict, and you got the Daglo Abortions. Right, right. Like, I mean, so there's always been like one is just a sort of empty nihilistic freedom, which is just like a pure chaos. And the other one is like, you know, the question of, of, a, of a deeper sense of freedom, a love of humanity, a love of my, my, my brothers and sisters and a, a genuine search for peace. And so a lot of, a lot of those bands were like into nonviolence, into, yeah. into, into really, I think, trying to solve in a personal way, the, the, the problems of, of discord between, between people. And there was a, there was the feeling that playing in these bands and playing these little shows actually like in its own small way didn't solve the problem, but was a window into uh, a way of being together that wasn't determined by the problem. And it was, it was, it was, it was like a, a kind of sacred space, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Minute, minute man history lesson part two is like a song that like, when he says, you know, Mr. Narrator, this is Bob Dylan to me. And, and then we, we all know, knew what Bob Dylan meant. Bob Dylan didn't mean a guy who had a record deal and made a lot. We, it meant a guy who stood on a stage at a time, like Grill Marcus says it, but like 1963, the times they are changing, like a new kind of way of being together. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it wasn't at the best of times. Um, punk rock is not ideological, right? Right. It's not, it, it's not ideological. It's actually the experience of the hoped for reality um, lived now in the presence of this, of this, of this little, little huddle of, of friends. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's well said. That's well said. You know, we've been talking about leadership. We've been talking about liberty or freedom. Uh, you say you've been in Kansas about two years. It's the, the year is 2020. <laughs> so you moved to America in 2018. Uh, I assume you knew what you were in for in terms of the current, leadership and social sociocultural political climate of that country you and i explored that country together in a way that i never have since like you and i went on a three-week tour in uh, 20 years ago 20 years ago this fall and um and that has always meant a lot to me but i feel like i learned a lot we went when we went oddly enough uh it was an election year it was you were in the ralph nader (laughs) <laughs> That's right. I would get harassed for wearing the vote for Ralph Nader button that I picked up in Nashville at, uh, uh, what was her name? Um, Kira, I think her name was. Uh, Gosh. Nashville. Remember she ran the Springwater? Yeah, yeah. And you she, have a better memory than me, too, which is which is an unfortunate thing for me. Oh, no, no. It's good. Anyway, we were... <laughs> is it unfortunate? Why? Why is it bad? Well, because I just can't remember things. I, 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 I barely remember yeah. But anyway, yeah. We got, anyway, I got the pin at, we were staying at, uh, it's hard to say his name now, obviously, but we were staying at Ryan Adams' house. Do you remember that? Yeah. Right. So we yeah, were staying at, I do. yeah. So Actually, I, I, had, I had forgotten that we stayed at his house. Don't you remember you and I slept? Okay. First of all, we got there and we got to explore the house and he had this bizarre basement that seemed like but it was. He wasn't there. He was. So basically, me and Simon, there was a drum kit and a bass amp set up and maybe a guitar amp and maybe Jim and I and Simon went down there to just play. Simon was starting to play louder music with other people and he wanted me to help him. 
<laughs> get used to playing louder punk rock. I think he was playing with our friend Evan Clark and was trying to get used to it or something. So Simon and I go down there, and I think Jim was there for maybe a second or someone, or maybe Nathan, and they left. And and Simon and I, I'm on drums. Simon's playing bass. Oh yeah, and Ryan Ryan Adams came down and played with you. He guys came live. down and played, and we played for quite a while, and we just thrashed. And I was super into shellac at the time. I mean, I still am, but I was playing just heavy drum beats, and and Simon was playing, and it was great. It was fun, and we finished playing. And Ryan Adams, who I didn't know at all, uh, really. We stopped. And he said, "That was incredible. I never get to play like that. We have to play a show tonight." And I said, "What? That wasn't anything. That was just <laughs> noise." I mean, I appreciated that it was fun noise, but I said, "Well, no, Royal City. The you and I were on tour with your band, Royal City. They've got a show or two shows tonight in Nashville. I can't play with you." And so I didn't, and we didn't, and so we went and played. Remember, we played that amazingly horrible. You guys played that showcase. At the uh, yeah, I, I do. I and do. You did, I do. The, you played. You did the most punk rock thing I've ever seen because everyone else was like a wannabe singer songwriter, and you guys played "Success" by Iggy Pop, and it was the angriest version of of, of "Success" I'd ever <laughs> heard you sing. And I was just like, "This." I anyway, it was just. You know what? I just found yesterday because I'm moving stuff around because we just moved to Edmonton, and I'm still unpacking. I found the tapes. Of our, do you remember I was taping everything? I was taping yeah. all the shows on that tour. I just, I'm not even kidding. Last night came upon the tapes. So it says like Royal City, Flint, Michigan, Royal City, Kansas City, wherever we played. Well, maybe we didn't play Kansas City, but anyway, I found all the things. Anyway, where was I going with this? We were there during an election year. I was wearing a Ralph Nader for president pin. People yelled at me. People yelled, you're losing us the election. And yeah, I said, I no, I, I'm not. I, no, I'm not. I'm Canadian. <laughs> How am I going to do that? But they yelled at us. Anyway, you moved there during Trumpism, during this time. Conflicts? Did you think about moving back to Canada instead? I know you got a job, but... Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. In, in Atchison, I mean, I, I sort of live on the... Uh, on the frontier, on the periphery. I mean, I, yeah. I, don't, I, don't really, I don't really bump into too much here and i'm i'm sort of um i mean i don't have a mobile phone i'm i'm not as plugged in as most people are to the uh to 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 the to the whole of it like i i don't feel the the election thing day to day in my life it's like this 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 big existential thing what i do think is um i mean what has been harder for me you know is like i mean the 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 death of uh George Floyd and like all the stuff that's happened after that, that's, that, that's, that's like, um, that's a, that's a big provocation, right? That's, uh, and that's not, I mean, as a Canadian, I mean, I guess my, my place in it all is different. Uh, I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't claim to have, uh, things figured out, but this is an incredible moment in this country's history. The election is a big part of it. Um, but you know, the, the, the coronavirus lockdown, exploding into um uh you know the death of this man uh complete injustice i mean every and there's no one that that, that would, would say that but then the all the social unrest and then the question of like the legacy of slavery and segregation and stuff is is an incredible moment 
Uh, but to me, you know, it's been also, I have to say, it's been a, a fascinating uh, time to be here because I've been, I've been provoked. I, I, um, I mean, on our campus, there's a lot of questions too. You know, people, people want to try to live this well and as an opportunity to be challenged, to be corrected and to become different. And, um, you know, I've, I, I mean, when I'm washing up at night, I, I listen to Martin Luther King speeches and Malcolm X speeches. I'm, I want to, I want to know something about the history. I discovered this beautiful poet named Claude McKay, um, not Mackay, McKay. Mm-hmm. Just <laughs> and, McKay's uh, and Mackay's all throughout your life, it seems. Yeah. But this, uh, Claude McKay was a, a, a Harlem Renaissance poet. Mm-hmm. And if we should die, is this, uh, a, 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 a poem that they, they read it a lot of the, the the protests and riots and it's just been it's been so i i see that like you know the impact of this really terrible moment has has provoked in me a, 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 a some kind of a journey i don't know where it's going but so i'm actually grateful to be here right now it's an interesting perspective to to have obviously as a canadian being in america you mentioned you're fearing for your children's safety in spain this conflation of events is so surreal and bizarre that I wonder how you're feeling about, by the way, you have, what is it? 13, 17 children. I forget. I've lost track of how many children you currently. I, 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 I only have five, kids. five, five kids. Yeah. You're slacking a little bit. You and Brendan Canty, five, five kids. I think Brendan may have more right. than that. Oh, really? I think so. Yeah. I can't remember. I can't keep track. Something about drummers and making children. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, punk rock drummer. It's interesting. Yeah, it is. I I stopped it too, and I I think I'm good. Um, my point here is explaining this to your children while there. I haven't really had to broach too much. My kids know there's a coronavirus. Obviously, there's lots of restrictions. I have a vague sense of what's going on with the the Black Lives Matter movement and social unrest. Uh, are you having conversations with your children about what's going on? Yeah, I mean, I, my, I guess my son Basil, we talk with a bit. It's really, it's really hard to know how to, how to broach it well with, with children. But, um, what I, what I do know, um, is that, uh, I, I made a kind of promise to myself that we're going to, we're going to sit down and watch some, some of Martin Luther King's speeches. Like, I mean, cause, because they're just, they're such incredible things. Like, I mean, outside of, outside of the, the bare proposal, um, and anything else, just the, the, the oratory, the, the, the compellingness again of this, like this man with great authority, right? Cause he, because he had a, a humanity that you, you couldn't, you couldn't look at him and, and see him and not feel the kind of the purpose and not want to kind of follow him in a certain sense, like, you know, and, and so, you know, I, I want to start there with, with him, but it's, um, yeah, it's hard to know how, how to, how to discuss it with kids. And of course their, their lives had not been part of the American experience at all before two years ago. So it's, a, it's a strange, strange time. Yeah. It's fast. It's, that's an excellent, uh, idea, I think, to, um, show the Martin Luther King's, uh, speeches because I think his legacy has been, and I don't mean to be a, uh, use a pun here, but I feel like it has been whitewashed. I was just rewatching uh, the Spike Lee film Malcolm X uh, a couple weeks yeah. ago. I hadn't watched it in a long time, and um, it just reminded me how Martin Luther King's message 
was very similar to what's going on now. Like there was this sense that he was more of an Uncle Tom than Malcolm X, so to speak, that he was advocating for an idealism when um, something more militant uh, along the lines of what Malcolm X, Malcolm X was espousing needed to be done. But I feel it's, as you probably discovered in revisiting the speeches, what he said, what Martin Luther King said, is very much what uh, proponents of Black Lives Matter have been saying and are saying. I don't feel like there's a great distance between his messaging and the current messaging. What, what do you make of that? I mean, I don't, I, I'm not sure about all the, all the messaging. I mean, I think that the, the, the thing is that the, the origin in every case is the thing which is the most true, right? And there's a desire, again, this is like punk rock, desire for freedom, a desire, like, you know, what does it mean to say Black Lives Matter? It means, like, I want my life to matter. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, and what what does that mean? It means I want I want to be loved. I want to be recognized uh, as as someone who's, who's, who's beautiful, who's cared for. Yeah. And um, at least that's what I think. I mean, what the hell do I know? I'm just a, a, a Canadian uh, white kid. Um, but but that, that seems to me to be, be the, the thing, like, at, at its very core is this. And that that is the thing that, you know, even the different phases of Malcolm X or Martin Luther King, they're all giving voice to that same thing. Like, no, no, no. I want I want this life to matter. Yeah. Like I love I love this one. Like this one is my son. Yeah. Don't treat don't treat him like that because I love him. Right. Therefore he's beautiful. So a great uh I, I, I read a great thing about Martin Luther King in Chicago. Some woman came up to him when he was marching there and you know, she yelled all kinds of terrible uh profanities at him. And he just looked up at her and he looked her in the eye. I and mean, this is like part of the nonviolent thing, right? Was you always make eye contact. He looked her in the eye and he said, how can someone as beautiful as you say things like that to a man? And he just kept on going. Yeah. And the next day she found him in another March and she came up to him and she said, I'm sorry for what I said. The, 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 when I think of what Black Lives Matter means, I mean, uh, it is, I've made this argument before, Aaron, and and I know that you've generally, we, we your, your friends, make fun of you a little bit for being a bit disconnected from social media, from technology. I tried texted you to say today to say, do you know how to text? <laughs> Which just made me laugh out loud as I was writing to you. But, but you were onto something there. Um, I think because maybe you had a sense of how dehumanizing all of this is this, uh, you you probably don't even know what I'm talking about because you've insulated yourself probably for your own, whether you know it or not, for your own health and well-being. The rancor, the anonymous vitriol that we face, those of us who engage on the internet uh, or witness people engaging in, yeah. is a level of inhumanity and, uh, uh, and a lack of decency and decorum that I've not encountered in my life. And my and that's been building since we started using these dehumanizing these um, disembodied I should say disembodied platforms. I think it's been building yeah. to this point, and now it's out in real life. So yeah. the the internet trolls and commentators and posters, the people who are going to say something negative no matter what you say, are now feeling so brazen that they can say it to you to your face. So it's interesting that you mention. Uh, the Martin Luther King uh, parallel, because that was well before the internet and that sort of de... 
this is what Black Lives Matter means to me personally. It is a way of reemphasizing the fact that these are human beings. All of us are human beings because I've been on the receiving end of negative messages. And when I write back to someone and say, I'm sorry you feel that way, or I'm sorry this wasn't for you, they write back invariably to say, thank you. I didn't realize you uh, someone was going to read this. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that you would respond to me. You know, they just thought they would shoot their shot and it would yeah. just go out into the world. And so your country, I think, is really, in our country, our, our society, our culture is really dug ourselves a hole uh, by embracing all of this anonymous interaction, I think. Yeah, well, this is a whole other issue. I mean, I think that the great genius is uh, the Canadian Marshall McLuhan, right? The medium yeah. is the message. Yes. And and um, unfortunately, uh, the internet and all of this technology, it is itself the message. And mm-hmm. it is a message that is inherently inhuman. Yeah. And I say this to my students. I say, the only thing you can do on the internet with your friend is figure out the time and place that you're going to meet. But don't think at all that on the internet you can really generate friendship. You need a, a carnal presence. You need somebody that can put their arm around you. You know, Martin Luther King could only say to this woman, how, how, how could someone as beautiful as you say a thing like that to a man? If he could look her in the eye, yes. right? And I mean, I think that Emmanuel Levinas said, like, inscribed in the face of every man is the commandment, thou shalt not kill, right? Yeah. And I, I actually think there's even more than that written in the face. I think Levinas was onto something, but I think it's even more. It's like, it's the mystery of the depths of the depths of being that's written in the face of a man yeah. or, or a woman, yeah. right? Like, that, that he, here is one who is irreplaceable in all the history of humanity. This one will, when, when George Floyd died, when you watch that, you thought, man, this, this, this one disappeared. Like he, he was, mm. he was crushed. And you, you could, you could kind of feel the break and the kind of ontological fabric, like the waste, right? The waste. Because he was, because he was a human being. Yeah. Right. And, and, and no one, I mean, some people can, um, I guess, objectify a human being to such a point that they, they don't see that, but only at the detriment of their own humanity. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and and therefore, it's almost a kind of act of suicide. I mean, I, that goes right to James Baldwin, right? Yes, so, yes. You know, the, 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 the Negro is not my problem. The Negro is your problem. Right. Why did you need, why did you need a Negro? Mm-hmm. You know, and and he sees that actually the, the, the problem in America is, is a deeper problem for whites than it is Absolutely. Absolutely. On one level. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, the, there's so much late, uh, uh, yeah, I'm not going to get into how loaded racism is and how much it's mired in insecurity and competitiveness, um, because I think that's all there. It, it is at the root of it. It is, uh, and, and maybe you can comment on it if you want, but I've talked about this a few times on the show recently. And I think that's when people hate and, and, and try to overpower someone, I think it's, it says more about them than their than those they're trying to oppress. If that makes any yeah. sense, yeah. Yeah, well, I think that that's James Baldwin's point. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and and the thing is, what we all want, and this goes right back to the original the original cry. You know, what we all want is to be loved. We all want to be happy. Like even even the even even the white man who's who's doing the horrible thing of lynching or something like this. 
I mean, at the very core of it, he too wants to be looked at with a merciful gaze of love. And the trouble with, with hate and violence is that it makes you incapable of receiving that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. We've talked about uh, all sorts of things uh, in terms of cultural things. We've talked about poetry. We've talked about oratory. I want to ask you about music. Um, we connected as friends because of music. We, You've shared music with me that has changed my life in so many ways, and uh, whether it's your own or others, just recommending things. Um, how has music helped you in uh, maybe this time, if at all? And what is your relationship like with music? Because the narrative around Aaron Richards is that he was in a band called Royal City, and then the band uh, stopped, and Aaron vanished. <laughs> Aaron stopped making music in public, and no one exactly knows why. And I want to get to that as briefly as we can. I know why, uh, because I know you, but I think I know why. Tell me about your relationship with music at the moment, and whether you see yourself still as someone who might or does still make music. Well, I'm, I, I play music every single day. I mean, not a day goes by that I don't pull the guitar out. And um, I, uh, my, my kids sing songs with me. We even have, like, tunes that we've been trying to kind of work up, not for a concert. <laughs> we don't play concerts. But, you know, I mean, my son and I have been working a lot on uh, Towns Van Zandt, If I Needed You, and it's great because he's, he's, uh, he's got a really nice way of playing the leads. And then we're going to work on, a, of all people, Carla Bruni's song. Quelqu'un hmm. uh, Madi, do you know that? You know that I, I'm familiar with it. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it was very popular. Yeah. But it's, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful song. Yeah, I know it's kind of, it's almost like this song by Melania Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite, but I mean, I mean, you know, as far as like you know, a, a, a very uh, fashionable Italian, um, yeah, could marrying Starkozy. But anyway, I love, I love that song. So we've been working on that too, and. With my with my daughter, I have a couple of, a couple of songs we like to sing, and, and she plays flute. And uh, we've got a great great Spanish song. She's got a, a good flute part in, and we, we just play them around the house. So these are other people's songs. Are you? I don't. I don't. I don't even try to write songs anymore. Don't even I try. I don't have. I don't. No, I don't have the. Uh, I, I mean, a, a friend of mine wrote words for me to write a put put to an Italian friend of mine when I was in. Uh, Milan with him just on my way actually moving here he he wrote the he wrote these two poems that were that are that are actually meant to be songs and gave me the words he said please put these to, to, to music and so I actually did for one of them and then I completely forgot it because I didn't play it for, for too long so I, I had to write Giovanni and say I'm just such a such a shit because I, I, I did this but now I forgot it so I'm gonna I'm gonna I've got to kind of do that for him just as a personal uh, a personal gift but I don't uh, I don't have I don't have that. I guess I don't have that need. Um, and it's, I would say, in some way, music's become a much purer thing to me now because it's more personal. It, um, yeah, because it's just. I mean, I, I I sing I sing songs that I love. I sing them for myself. I sing them for my family. I love so every once in a while I go over to somebody's house and I I bring the guitar and you know we we sing songs together. Um, but I I love I love music now more than I ever did. And uh, and, I, and I play more probably than I did a lot of the time when I was in bands. What do you think snuffed that spark? You and you played in bands for uh, you were. Uh, when did Royal City stop in two thousand 
three or four or something like that. Something like, yeah, something like that. Yeah. And, uh, and you started playing music as a teenager, right? So it's, uh, in the mid eighties or something. Yeah. Right. So from the mid eighties, let's say it was around 20 years, <coughs> you, you played music publicly, I would say, right? Is that right? Yeah. Right. What extinguished that desire? Was it the public aspect of it? Well, no, I listen, I actually, I have, I have played a couple of times how I consider publicly. Um, I mean, like we had a vacation in Spain and like I, I played a, for like a whole hour. I, I played a whole bunch of songs. I even played a couple of Royal city songs, but for my friends in Spain, this vacation it was like there was about 40 people there. And I printed out all the lyrics and like, I, I taught them how to sing along to certain songs and I told them why I like these songs. So like, I, I love that. Okay. But what, what I, what I, what I don't, what I don't want anything to do with is, you know, the business or the, or the, and then there's another thing, which is like the ego of write, of writing songs that that's, that's corrosive of my eye. It's not, it's not really, it, it, it's not good for me. It's not, that's what I, it's, that, not it's not what I, I want. That's what I was getting at. I use the word public, I guess, which is clumsy, but I wondered if it had something to do with ego. Um, yeah. I, I, it's, it's hard for, I mean, especially if you're the guy who like writes the songs and sings them, it's probably hard not to, to have a struggle with it. And I, I mean, I'm just as, I'm just as fragile and, and fallible and, and clumsy and whatever as anybody else. So of course I gave into all kinds of ego stuff, um, of wanting to be things that, that I wasn't and wanting to be things that in the end, you know, no fragile mortal should think of. This is exactly why, Ian Mackay and Steve Albini bristled at the idea of authority. It's like, you can't attribute, you can't attribute that to me, I, you know, but of course you can't attribute the glory of the Lord to any human being, Sure. but anyone, but anyone who watches, I have a dream and doesn't know that the glory of the Lord rested on that man is a fool because right? Right. it's evident. Right. What Aristotle, right. What, what Aristotle said, the only thing that the most irrational thing is to die. What is in evidence? You don't have to question it. It just is. But the, but the, but the fact is that when you, when you play songs, um, you know, your own songs, you can, you can get caught up into a lot of ego and stuff. And so I, it was, it was time for me to not, not be part of that. And I, I'm pretty glad that, uh, I'm pretty glad that my life took the, the turn that it did. I mean, I'm grateful for the turn that it took, especially for, you know, I mean, I lived almost a decade in Spain. So I really lived in a, in a cone of, of cultural silence, you know, um, where like the students that I had there were, I taught at a, a Catholic seminary. I mean, they had no idea. I mean, some of them did, but for the most part, they had no idea that I'd ever played in a band. They didn't know who I was, you know. Right. And it was it was great. It was this freeing thing. And that's when I, it was when I was in Spain that I really got into learning learning to play other people's songs. And, um, you know, another person's song is a, a great freedom because they, they, they say in their words, all the, the whole infrastructure of your heart, right? They, they, they put it all out there. And you can, you can actually just like play that in the park and people can listen to it or not listen to it. And it's like, it doesn't matter to me. Right. It's yeah. not, it's not like I'm, it's not like I'm playing my baby out here. I'm, I'm just, I'm just playing this tune. It was written by Richard Thompson. Or I'm just playing this tune. It was written by Claudio Chiaffo and, and people, people, people like it or don't like it, but I, I don't care. I love it. It changed my life. Okay. You know, so- and that, that, that's what I love about not playing songs that are my own. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, I think a lot of people, I get this question a lot. I've become a something of a Royal City 
emissary. <laughs> just people wonder what I know, and I say, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, these things happen. If I text you something, a photo, right now, I, I alluded to the fact that I'm not sure how up on technology you are. Can you yeah, see? I've got, I've got iMessage. Go for okay, it. I'm going to text you something. I want you to tell people what it is I'm texting you and tell me a little bit about it. Oh, that's uh, that's the um, uh, my snare case. That is your snare drum. It is in Edmonton, Alberta. <laughs> that is your snare case and snare drum. And somehow in my packing, I don't know how I... I feel like our friend Tristan O'Malley had it at his house. And then it just came with me wherever I lived. And when it came time to move, I didn't even think twice. I'm like, yeah, that's coming. That's that's your snare case. What do you wow, make? that's great. Well, is it great? I see in your face that you wish you had it back. Why no, does no, no, Vish no. have I, my stuff? I, no, 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 Vish. Actually, you know, if you hadn't left Guelph, I might, I might have just come to your house any day with all of my records and said, "Just deal with this." I can't. Um, can you do me a favor, and and for everyone listening, can you describe what you're seeing there, and and tell us anything about this particular snare drum, where it was used, and where this case maybe it says Lufthansa on it. I see that, so it's obviously it traveled around. What is this? It uh, traveled. What does this make you think of? Well, it makes me think of the. The, the minnow, the minnow tour that we did in Germany. I, I guess that it was, it was that. I don't think that it was, uh, I don't think that this snare drum was taken on a Royal City tour. No, it probably wouldn't have been. Um, so it's great though. It's got, you know, it's got a, a conflict, uh, sticker on it. <laughs> Jawbreaker. Corporate rock still sucks. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think corporate everything still sucks, right? Yeah. The trouble is, is that we live in a world that has become more corporate than ever before, right? Mm hmm. Um, we can't get out of it. Even Nike wants to endorse Black Lives Matter. It's yes. just incredible. It's incredible. Yes. It's okay. It's okay not to drink. So there's a little bit of a straight edge nod there. Um, I think, I think it's okay not to drink. I mean, I don't happen not to drink, but <laughs> I really like to have a beer at the end of the day. I'm still, I still think it's okay not to drink for whatever that's worth. Uh, and I, that's just me. It's okay to drink. It's okay not to drink, but I'm, I'm with the sticker. Also, King Cobb Steely there. King Cobb Steely? Yeah, as there's a sticker for King Cobb Steely under yeah. the strap there. So anyway, I just, the, sorry. You oh, look at that. Uh, and there's uh, do, it, uh, do It Yourself. That's a real DIY sticker from way back when because it says create anarchy. Do it yourself, create anarchy. Ah, there you go. Well, so all this to say, so weirdly, you've been on my mind. Uh, I told you I found the, the Royal City live tapes, which probably don't sound great. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to listen to them. <laughs> well, I mean, at your own risk. You might you you might be drinking by the time you're finished. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I was in the garage. I'm like, oh yeah, I have Aaron's snare drum. And then I hear from your friend and mine, Sam, at the Hillside Festival, that you've agreed to perform a song for their virtual festival that's taking place. Uh, July 24th to 26th. You're going to submit. I, know, so I, have, I have to do that this week, right? I think that's correct. So, uh, and we don't have to talk about the song. Maybe we'll leave it as a surprise. But given what we were talking about, I thought this was astounding. He asked me for your email address <laughs> or, or if you still use one particular email address. And I said, I think so. But, and I knew maybe he was going to ask you about something like this. He didn't say he was. And I just like, he's not going to, Aaron doesn't do anything. He's not going to say yes. Why did you say yes to this? I don't know, because it's Sam. I mean, it also, it's easy, it's easy to do. I mean, I, 
I am going to play a song that I play, you know, not every day, but you know, probably once a week. Okay. And, um, and yeah, I mean, whatever. That's I think, great. I think, yeah, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy to do it. Does Hillside, I've got, I've got, does Hillside I've mean got, something specific to you? Um, Hillside? Just um, as a festival. Is that, is that a meaningful entity? You know, I, I don't, I don't know if Hillside means something to me. You know, Guelph is where I was born. And I mean, I know everybody that went to Hillside. I've got all kinds of great memories, hmm. uh, of, of Hillside. And I mean, I know the faces. And so I, I, Hillside is an organization. I could, I could care less. About it. I don't care. I don't, I don't care. I don't care about organizations, but, I, but I love Sam and I love Beach and I, I love, I love Michael Markley. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Okay. I, lo- I love, I love Lewis. Yeah. Lewis Melville still. So, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's, it's great. It's great. It's, it's a history. Yeah. You don't miss Guelph per se, do you? I mean, you miss the people. Um, there's lots of things about Guelph I miss. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I miss, I miss every moment of my life. I, I miss every moment of my life when I look back on it, but it's, uh, it's, it's a great, it's a great nostalgia because it's something that's present. It's something that constitutes who I am now. So yeah. I, my, I miss it most of all in, in, in the sense of being grateful for it, whether it's Guelph, whether it's Charlottesville, Virginia, New mm-hmm. York City, Nottingham, England. You know, two of my kids were born in Nottingham. Yeah. You lived everywhere. Yeah. They they were baptized in the same font as Graham Greene. Really? Oh, yeah! Wow! In the Nottingham Cathedral, and then Granada in Spain, and and now Atchison. I mean, it is it is amazing. I never thought that I would end up in a town that was less significant than Guelph, <laughs> but I but <laughs> I thought it was like sort of only you know New York, Charlottesville, Nottingham. Uh, Granada, like they all had their sort of je ne sais quoi, which was like, wow, right. this is a really awesome, awesome place. Right, <laughs> right, 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 right. But, but Atchison really could only be as big as a minor footnote to Guelph. Well, I'm sure the your your fellow citizens would appreciate you saying that. We'll make sure they hear this. <laughs> I do want to, you know, I was saying maybe we don't want to spoil the surprise. You're on the you're on the the call here with me. What song are you going to perform? Uh, for the Hillside Festival, and why did you choose it? I just, I'd like to know. Okay, I, I think I was supposed to say this on the video that I actually record too. So I, I but I'll, you know, I'll just repeat myself. It doesn't matter. Sure. Anybody who's had the misfortune of spending any time with me has heard me say things twice. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> me too. Absolutely. Um, so I, I was going, I'm going to do a song by uh, Victor Hara. Uh, Victor Hara is a uh, uh, Chilean folk singer he was a, a socialist a communist marxist um and uh i mean I, he- I heard his name probably for the first time when i was about 16 or 17 years old uh because on 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 the sandinista album of the clash and in, in the song sandinista you know do you remember victor jara in the santiago stadium uh fighting those washington bullets something like that that's my so fa- that's Har- my that's my favorite clash album Oh, is it? Every, every, every Sunday, almost, if I think of it, I have what I call Sunday Nista and I play, uh, the triple record. It's a triple vinyl. I play Sandinista. I play Sandinista and I enjoy it. It's like a beautiful Sunday mixtape, I think. Yeah. And it kind of sounds like a mixtape as, as records go. That's why I think I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. 
sort of like the self-portrait of the clash yeah it is it is a little <laughs> like that in that uh, they're kind of covering themselves a little bit yeah and and doing different takes on things and rapping and it is a complete uh you know they can be accused like a lot of people can of appropriation i suppose but i it's weird for me that all that talk of that stuff uh, you also as a student of folk music uh as, as i am know how appropriation can get uh uh kind of discussed and then at the same time i feel like well if i didn't know about it from these things i might not have known about it at all and that as a person who likes to know things that just got me into stuff like i went down different rabbit holes because of sandinista i went down different rabbit holes because of dylan you know yeah and found blues singers or artists that i just would not have maybe entered my I feel like there's this, yeah, it's it's a confusing time to be talking about these things, but there is a way to uh, show reverence to your influences and pay them tribute while, by pointing people to them that I appreciate yeah, well. in uh, certain artists. So anyway, sorry, I, tangent. Maybe, maybe it has to do with a real sense of authority in the sense of deep friendship for someone who came before and if if you if you play somebody else's song or you, you discover somebody else's music which even isn't culturally your own um and you have a deep love for it um then you don't appropriate it because you don't seek to make money off of it you don't seek to dominate it you seek to participate in it and to gesture other people towards yeah it. yeah yeah and that's the difference but you know people ripping off other people i mean we're all against that right? no that i'm against but i think when um, when someone mentions a name like you just said you you heard about this artist because the clash mentioned the clash. him yeah so on some level they were doing some sort of people some people wouldn't see it that way but i view that as a bit of a service uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, so and the, and, the, and the Clash had great taste in music. Well, yes, exactly. Yeah, and, um, and they so, were open-eared, and I—that's what I appreciated about them. Yeah. So this song, Vic, Victor Hara. So he he, he was obviously uh, um, killed in, in in the revolution and uh, by Pinochet's henchmen and and stuff. But the the song that I'm gonna sing is a, a song called. Te recuerdo, Amanda, which is "I remember you, Amanda," and it's a it's a beautiful, a beautiful song about an encounter between a man and a woman. And my favorite thing about it is he says, um, "In five minutes, all of eternity was present." And that's, I think, the same thing that we were talking about earlier about punk rock is that yeah. whatever we hope, whatever we hope for in life, it's something that we've already seen. You know, mm. uh, it can't we can't hope for something that doesn't that doesn't exist. Right. Um, and so it's, it, it's, it may not be fully realized, but we've seen it. And so in, in the encounter of this man and this woman, uh, there's like this sense of eternity was in five minutes and the truth of humanity and the, the sort of, in his case, the fight for a better world, um, is sort of fueled. And it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful song. Well, it's, uh, I'm, I'm so happy that, uh, Victor inspired you to, uh, to participate in this thing. I mean, the <laughs> fact that you're going to play a song uh, after so many years uh, of not doing so in a way that we could all experience is, uh, it's just a real gift, Aaron. I, I, you know, we all, we all miss you as a, as I miss you as a friend and I miss seeing you, but uh, I also miss you as a musician. And so this is lovely. I'm glad you're doing this. I just want to say that. Just got to come around my living room. Well, I can't, I can't, I'm not going anywhere. I don't leave the house because of the COVID. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> 
I mean, it's it's like it's like Jim always said, home is where the rock is. That's right. Jim Guthrie always <laughs> always said that. Now, if we could traditionally at the end of a conversation like this, I'll ask a guest who is a musician to select a song of their own to go out on. And I know you're pretty self-conscious. You mentioned the ego thing. But if we could, just to give people a, a sense of something of yours from anything, I can find it if unless I don't have it. Maybe I can talk to you after. But just anything. If you could pick a song that you have a hand had a hand in creating and recording, what would it be? I'm not exactly sure what the title of it is. It is it called Dirty Fingernails? Yeah, from uh, okay, yeah, yeah. I think that's you. Always used to name things after the first sentence or few words of the song, right? Generally. Well, that was just I, I copped what you know W H Auden did. Yeah, right. So you just <laughs> that's right. So uh, dirty fingernails. Why did that come to mind? I don't know because I, I think that. Well, I mean, there's I also um, uh, raw youth. There, I mean, there's the only the only um, isn't dirty fingernails song? called? Don't you ever be? No, that's what you say in that oh, song. Yeah, I don't know. It could be. That's what it could be called. That okay. I don't, I don't remember. know because because it, it's it's a song. It's a song that that that. I wrote that I, 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 I still I still play it every once in a while. What uh, do you remember what inspired that one? No, per, not really. Per se? No. Okay. I mean, I know exactly what it was about. You know what it was about? You don't want to say. Well, I can say. It was, <laughs> it was about dirty fingernails by the balcony rail. Okay. Something like that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Why <laughs> do you know there's a great there's a great interview with T. S. Eliot on the BBC and the guy asks him. Can you tell us, you know, Mr. Elliot, this is a fantastic new new poem you've come out with. Uh, you know, the the burnt Norton. Can you explain to us what this means? Because some people find it very philosophical. He says, Yes, yes, of course I could tell you. It means time present and time past. He just starts re- reciting the poem. Right. <laughs> as his explanation. <laughs> okay, well let's just let's go to that. I appreciate. So we're going with dirty fingernails or did you say raw youth? I can't sure, remember. Sure. Okay. No, no, dirty fingernails. Great. Okay. All right, let's play that. This is Royal City with dirty fingernails. Uh Aaron, uh thank you so much for this time. It was good to connect and uh I wish you the best of luck with everything and I hope I see you soon, buddy. I miss you. I love you. Talk soon. Okay. Bye. Thanks, Vish. Dirty fingernails By the balcony rail My lovely, you are so frail Cigarette ends all my friends departed Empty ashtray of cigarette ends And don't you ever be What they want you to be And don't An illness in muddy places After which 
wide forgiveness Into the ear of death I cast all my regret Into the dirty ear of death Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Uh, before I get into the uh, normal outro of the, the show, we have to fact-check something, as I suspected, but did not uh, push back on too hard. The song that you just heard by Royal City is not called Dirty Fingernails. It's called Don't You. I said it was called Don't You Ever Be Something Something. I didn't have it in front of me, and Aaron, I don't know if he pretends not to know things about himself or if he really doesn't know. But anyway, sorry. It's the Royal City song. Don't You is what you just heard. And that was the great Aaron Riches, my dear old friend, on this, the 553rd episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available on all Apple and Google platforms and other things as well. 
if you can't find an episode that you're looking for, you've heard about it from someone, but you can't find it on any of those platforms. The platforms are all mixed up. They're all weird, man. They don't have everything. Well, you know, you can still find those things. And you can also learn more about me and sign up for my semi-regularly scheduled newsletter, all at my website, vishkana.com, which is spelled exactly how it sounds. You can also like Creative Control on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter, at Vish Creative, or follow me directly at Vishkana. Also visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to keep this podcast going. And uh, $6 or more uh, a month gets you uh, access to exclusive archival audio content from my history, uh, interviewing people like Sufjan Stevens, D.A. Pennybaker, Olive Fugazi, Killer Mike, Hal Wilner, uh, Will Oldham, all sorts of people. Go to patreon.com slash creative control. And I have to say, I just moved to uh, Edmonton, Alberta, as you may know if you follow the show. I have much easier access to my collection of creative control t-shirts, and there's still quite a stockpile of them. I just am sending one to someone in uh, Boise, Idaho, because they made a Patreon donation. And I said, you know what? I'll just send you a shirt. I I didn't tell them I need to get rid of them, but I kind of want to get rid of them. And also, what the hell? Guy guy said he's giving me 10 bucks a month. At least he could get his a t-shirt as well as the audio content. Anyway, patreon.com slash creative control if you want to get in on the audio and t-shirt action. Thanks again to live at MasseyHall.com, where you can watch beautifully captured concerts by great Canadian artists. Also, Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in uh, the Royal City itself, Guelph, Ontario, which uh, I miss, Aaron misses. Also, Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton. All of these fine people offer their in-kind support for this show, so thank you to them. Uh, we mentioned Jim Guthrie, I think, briefly in our conversation, and Jim lends me music for the show, one of my oldest friends. Go to jimguthrie.org to learn more about Jim. And you, finally, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode with Aaron Riches, and I, I hope you'll check out the back catalog of episodes. Subscribe to the podcast to keep tabs on it. And then and, and tell your friends. Tell your friends about the show. Maybe they'll like the show. You never know. You never know. You might know. You know your friends. If you don't know if they'll like it. Maybe you don't. Maybe you need new friends. Anyway, that's I'm getting in your head now. I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now.
we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.